Supplements is once you've built the discipline, the habit of doing the first three correctly, then you've earned the right to take supplements. In our society, we're looking for the shortcut, the magic pill. And although you're trying to help this kid or your son, daughter get to a certain level, but you also have to be very careful on preaching process, not what's the shortcut, supplements. Making an Athlete, a show about athletes, coaches, scouts, trainers, and the stories behind their careers and what it takes to build yours. Welcome to Making an Athlete Podcast. I'm Ty Davis, and on the show today, we talk to Tony Sandoval, who spent over 15 years as a professional strength and conditioning coach at the University of Kentucky, University of Colorado, UCLA, and the University of the Pacific, where he was director of all athletic performance. He has since become one of the top specialized strength and conditioning coaches focused solely on equestrian athletes. Today, we discuss strength training expectations as student athletes transition to the collegiate level. We've uh, had a couple uh, coaches specific to sports on before this, but now we kind of want to hone in on the strength and conditioning aspect. And you have a, a long and very nice experience with many different sports and uh, strength conditioning coach. So looking forward to having this discussion. Cool, man. That's good doing. All right. So first, let me just tell, tell us about uh, who you are and, and your background. Um, did you play sports at a younger age and what sports you might have played? So like you mentioned, my name is Tony Sandoval. Uh, I am a strength and conditioning coach. I've been doing that for over 15 years. I started my career in the collegiate sector. So I worked at colleges like uh, UCLA for my one of my first positions. Um, then I worked at Sacramento State where I got my master's. Then I was the head strength coach for University of Pacific, where we met, um, University of Colorado, working with football. And then my last stop was at the University of Kentucky, uh, working with football as a sports scientist. Um, And the way I got into strength and conditioning was, you know, growing up, I had played sports. And for the most part, they were all street sports, not really organized, um, just playing around the neighborhood. Um, my first sport that I ever played that was organized was boxing. And I don't call that a sport. It was more like a combat, I think they call it now, combat sport. But back in the days, boxing was, was a fighting. It wasn't necessarily a sport. So my dad got me in that real early. Um, and it sucked. I think for the most part, I was, I was forced into it. So, you know, you, it was that or be on the streets. And it was very low income. So it was low entry point. You didn't really need to buy anything. Um, so it was a good way, I guess, to keep us off the streets. Um, I did okay with it. But, uh, you know, I was never like that killer instinct. Um, and didn't have that timing and that aggressiveness to hurt another person. Uh, because it's not like sports where you can, you know, quote unquote, dominate or kill. Now, when you're playing, when you're boxing, it's not playing. It's the crush and you got to have a special little something in there to be really good at it and i didn't have it my brother did but i did not (laughs) so um when i started playing some organized sports was more like a 
junior high level, uh, and then high school. And then um, I had just a lot of injuries during high school. And I ended up not being able to pass any of the physicals that you need to from, I mean, head injuries from boxing um, to Osgood's growing too fast. I mean, I was always in pain. Um, so I had to stop playing sports, but still loved coaching or wanted to still be involved. And so I started coaching right around 16 years old, um, coaching one of my younger brother's flag football teams. Okay. I, I mean, I played, but I played, you know, enough to understand plays. I, you know, started coaching basketball cause I played a little bit and learned and, and bought books on how to coach basketball, <laughs> track and field. I was always self-taught, but I always knew like, I like building something. And I loved, uh, I got a, almost addicted to not necessarily the winning, but the preparation, the practice. And to be honest, like, uh, I think a lot of coaches would say, we, uh, you have to have horrible parents to really know if you're a good coach to handle them. I never had a bad parent to come and say, you play, you're not playing my kid too long. I mean, I always had the best parents. And so, That's awesome. yeah, when I started coaching uh, in weight rooms, it came really easy. I had been doing it for a long time. So uh, I just took what I had learned since I was 15, 16 and just started sharpening the sword and applying my skills more with a, with a, you know, theoretical background and some, some principles about coaching and the X's and O's of weight training. That was easy to learn. But it was how to communicate with kids, right. how to you, you know learn their language and how to apply my philosophies and principles to them. That's awesome. That's a uh, that that path is something that is um, unique, and it's like your own path. Um, yeah. And those experiences, starting with like just your your younger brother coaching. Um, I wish my younger brother would have listened to me. He. Uh, he, he just took what I did and made it his own and, and did it better because um, he had more raw talent, but maybe he was listening, but he, <laughs> uh, he didn't have to take too much instruction. He'd hear it and then he'd do it and then he'd be on his own. Yeah. That was my younger brother too. Yeah. Um, so what was, um, you know, your, your transition into, uh, you know, strength training um, and that's, at the point where you started making that like your career and working with collegiate athletes, um, what, what got you to that point of saying, Hey, like I want to be, uh, with the collegiate athletes, um, training them. And what was that kind of process like to get there? So it was brutal. You know, I didn't, in my undergrad, I had a, um, I had a professor and she was the first one to even, plant the seed of being a strength and conditioning coach in college. She had um, an undergrad, uh, a master's and a doctorate from Ohio state. Okay. She said, we did a lot of work with the strength and conditioning staff. Have you ever heard of that? And I went, no, I didn't. I thought I was going to be working for Gatorade and doing some type of performance. I didn't know, you know, it's since I was the first one to go to college um, in my family, I didn't know how to research any of these things. I didn't, all I know is I wanted to coach and I thought being in a lab was the best way to coach athletes. And she said, no, you're not a lab guy. You're like in the meat, you're in the weight room. You're like a meathead. No, no disrespect, but you probably 
be better suited being in the weight room. So, um, she, uh, found a college that was not going to be expensive for me. Okay. So I was paying for everything. And she said, they'll teach you Olympic weightlifting. They'll teach you all the basics. And then it's up to you what you do with it. And so when I got my master's at Sac State, that's exactly what happened is I met some cool guys. I had some pretty good instructors, um, or professors. And, um, I knew once that once she had that conversation with me, I had no stopping. Like I was going to go get my master's because that's what you needed to go in the collegiate realm. I needed to get my master's. I needed to get all the certifications. I was going to get straight A's in all of these classes because these are this is what my, my master's. I wanted to be the best at it. And uh, yeah, I was in her office where she planned. She painted this picture of strength and conditioning coaches and who would you be working with and all these NFL guys and. I've, I just went, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. I don't want to, I don't want to be in a lab. I thought, but I didn't know, you know, you, I was figuring out, I didn't know about interns. I didn't know about graduate assistants. I just applied and got there and then made my way to the weight room. Usually you apply for a graduate assistantship. Right. Get eight, four. I didn't even know that. I just went into Sac State and walked over to the kinesiology signed up as that was my master's. They accepted me. And then I went into the weight room and I said, uh, how do I make, how do I become a coach here? Pretty much got laughed at. Like there's a process. <laughs> What's the process? I don't know. And then, um, when I started coaching, then they took me seriously because again, I, I was against all these guys that had the book smarts and knew what they were doing, but they hadn't coached like I coached. Okay. Right. So I had the experience since I was 16, learning how to organize groups, talking loud, Everybody, I was selling out. I don't know what if I was saying was right, <laughs> man. I was directing, and and I had conviction and I had energy. And most of these guys that were a little younger than me, they didn't have that life experience. Right. So they were stuttering. They were talking like mice. You know, they didn't have any authoritative presence in that weight room where I was out there, you know, slanging orders, and people were listening to me. And the coaches were like, "Yeah, who's this guy? Oh, this is like our first year guy. He really doesn't know what he's doing." I want him as my strength coach. He's not even certified yet. I don't care. Everybody likes him. I want him as my strength coach. So I had all these teams. Didn't know what I was doing. I'd get a sheet of paper and I'd ask the coach, wait, what's that? What's that? And all I needed to know was what that exercise was and I was going to coach it. Yeah. Well, I can, I can, uh, confirm your conviction, you know, when, when you were my, my <laughs> strength and conditioning coach, but it was, uh, well, I'm sure by the time you were my coach, you, you had a lot oh, of yeah. um, broken all the experience, <laughs> but you still had that conviction and, and it, it's, you know, it straightened it up real quick or straightened me up real quick. Yeah. Um, so that, that's how I got into, that's how I knew. And it's, I think it's important for everyone to understand what I didn't even know that was what you would call passion. But man, when you feel it, when you know, like, yeah. uh, when people talk about it, like, you know, you find something that you're passionate about, you never work a day in your life. I worked for sure, but I never felt tired. Right. Work long hours and still go to grad school at night. And I couldn't wake up to, you know, I couldn't wait to wake up the next morning and start all over again because I was learning, learning something I loved. And I couldn't see myself doing anything other than being in college. That's awesome. Time. Yeah. That's a cool story. And it, it's, it's, and I say it's a cool story. I mean, like really like you kind of went in there and you grind and you made it happen for yourself. You didn't have anyone handing you the manual or instructions. No. And you had, you had someone motivating you in that professor, like saying, you know, planting a seed, but you had to grow yourself. I had to water it. I had to water that. Yeah. Seed. Exactly. Um, 
you know, in that time, you know, and still talking about, you know, your, your past and, and to getting to where you are today as a strength and conditioning coach, was there um, a memorable coach during that time that had an impact um, that that's, uh, you know, what were the kind of the aspects of that coach that taught you and, and made you, aside from the professor you talked about here, mm-hmm. um, just opened your eyes more to the opportunity. So I think what I, what I struggled a lot in growing up was lack of physicalness, size. I was always really skinny. So that gave me a lot of self-conscious issues or you know, any, anything that had to do with me being very confident in myself and doing the things that I thought I could do. Once I started getting older, and, and for instance, from junior high to high school, and I would get taller, but I didn't gain any weight. And I, if I'm a coach now looking at myself back then... I probably would have not paid as much attention because I would have said, this kid's just not built to play football or look at how skinny he is for basketball. And that's the eyes that I would have seen myself and not, not proud of it, but you know, you, you start as a coach going, okay, which are the kids that I really got to work on? Cause those are the ones that are going to help the team and which are the kids that are going to develop. And I was definitely a developmental person. And the first coach that actually saw me as Something other than developmental was my high school weight training coach. It was uh, race power pit was the after school program. Okay, and um, Coach Smith was in charge of this club, and you come in and just work out. And I, it wasn't what we were doing in college. It, you know, this was back in the early nineties. A power clean was still something that not a lot of people knew how to do in that area. I mean, I'm sure that the Olympic sports were big in, you know, Midwest, East, Southern, but in California, there wasn't a lot of people getting after it like that, Not especially in my high school. And Coach Smith started trying to teach us something, started teaching us about eating, and I started to gain weight, and I started to get stronger. And I can remember the first time I benched like 95 pounds, putting a 25 on his side. <laughs> I thought I was boss. And then when I got 35, I mean, I thought like, bring it on. I'm ready to play football. I was still 135. You know what I'm saying? But right. I was skinnier then. But that guy uh, really gave me that like hope that, okay, I can be bigger. I thought I was going to be skinny forever. So he was my first coach that I would say that was memorable, that uh, really, really dove in and, and and was committed to all the kids that were in that race power pit. And it was a lot, it was, I mean, if you looked at the people that were in there, <laughs> it was not what you would consider the varsity squad. <laughs> Dudes that had, you know, overweight, skinny guys, guys that couldn't make friends. You know, you in high school, it's so weird. You know, you find like the jocks and you find the goths and you find the whatever other groups that you associate yourself with. And race power pit was just like an outcast. Uh-huh. And I hung, all my friends were jocks, so I hung around with them. But I also felt really cool being in that in that group where everybody's just trying to build up a little confidence. You know, we wear these tank tops, and you couldn't come inside without wearing a tank top because Coach Smith wanted you to build your confidence and say, "Hey, like you're training yourself, you should feel good about it." And that really stuck with me. Like, man, yeah, he's really believing in the process, not looking yourself in the mirror, yeah, but also kind of look deeper and see if you can see yourself in a, a month away a year away, two years. By the time you're a senior, what do you look like? There wasn't no phone, like phones with cameras, you know? It was just right. like, take, take a mental note. Like, you're, we're going to fill into this tank top. 
I mean, he, he built a community, it sounds like. And he made, with that yeah. tank top, that's a cool thing because it's like everyone is the same when that tank's right. on. And yeah. I mean, you could see your results in, in, in that tank top as time Yeah, you could. That's only what you could. And then dude would like, you know, celebrate each other when somebody would bench 165. You know, you came in benching the bar. And 165, you're going, that's nothing. But for us, again, we were like these... And I would consider that me part of that group, like that cast, really not the guys that you would consider would be playing any sports. Yeah. But man, it helped me out a lot. I mean, that's when I started really thinking, okay, I love weights. I love for what, what it can do for me. That's awesome. Um, so going off of that, and you're seeing how, you know, um, Coach Smith did this for you. And now, like, we'll move into uh, you as, as Coach Sando, Co- Coach Sandoval. Um, and all the things that you've applied, let's talk about, uh, what you see as a coach, you know, starting, um, within you kind of, you, you kind of talked about it a little bit with, uh, the, uh, actually I have to think about is the, the athletes that, you know, they're, they're training for, they're already at performance, but you have the athletes that have potential. Uh, I think you phrased it differently, but what is, the approach for a coach when they're identifying those two different types of athletes? It's, it's really difficult. I think every coach has their own standard and I call these developmental guys or a developmental group. And, you know, if you're in high school, it just depends on the level you're at, but there's always these, you know, uh, almost like bank accounts and maybe somebody might come in and they've got this like diversified, you know, portfolio and they're ready to go, man. They're, these are the ones that are going to be your, your big time players that you just need to polish them up, but they're ready to go. And then you got the guys that, as, and I think it's important for every program to have this is, you know, they're the diamonds in the rough. They're the ones that need maybe five to 10 pounds. It may be like, to run this 60, if we're talking about baseball, like a second faster. And, and then their skills will naturally start building. And as their physical abilities increase, so will their skills towards their sport. But uh, for a coach, you know, it usually takes a lot of experience to go, that guy can be good. I like his eye, I like that fire in his eyes. He's got competitiveness. He just needs like a little bit more development and we're going to have a player. Uh, and that's where, you know, you have to have an eye for that, but you got to know what you want to build. Mm-hmm. You got to know what you're looking for and what fits your system. Because if you don't have that identified, then it's really hard to figure out, you know, if a kid comes in, what you're going to do with them. And I think for a lot of coaches, it's really easy just to go with a portfolio that's ready to go, right? <laughs> that's the one that's going to make me the most right. money. I'm just going to go with this because, you know, nowadays it's either win or get fired. The developmental takes time, takes patience. You have to buy into a kid and really uh, foster him into your program. But, you know, in actuality, that might not be something that is an option in a lot of programs, especially in college. You know, you'd have to be at the lower levels where a coach is there 30 years, you know, and he's left the right. dead in the program. But, it, you know, you go to the power five and that's where everybody wants to go. But they don't understand that there's a price to pay when you play with those big boys. And that is you have a very short lifespan if you don't win. So you go out and you recruit the five stars. You go out and, you know, there's a two star, a one star out there that could take you to the next level in four years, but you might not have that opportunity. That, yeah, that, that's a harsh reality. Um, and in the way that like, man, like there are, 
there are athletes that can be prospects that have uh, that potential, but that is reality. Like you said, and, and, um, going off of that, when you, you have these, uh, there's different levels of, of being a strength and conditioning coach. Like you said, whether it's a, a professional sport, professional level and, and results are differently uh, expected differently at, at different levels. Um, let's take a step back into the, the younger ages. And first we'll just start with, with the question around, um, we'll go with what should a, a parent or athlete look in a strength and conditioning coach? What are, with a, a youth athlete or a high school athlete, what, what should they look uh, in finding the right fit? So when I was going to grad school, one of my part-time jobs was working at a facility called Velocity Sports Performance. And that gave me a good foundation on coaching. So taking what I was learning at school and applying it to real life. And I had great coaches that I, that I really learned under. And then we had a model that allowed us to work with a lot of different types of athletes and ages of athletes. We started training kids at eight, eight years old. And our philosophy, or I think... I want to say this right so I don't, I don't uh, make my bosses at that time look like they weren't, didn't know what they were doing. We had a mission to train every athlete to prepare them for what sports they were able to play, not what sports they were playing. Uh, So I guess an analogy would be if you have a hammer and that's all the tools that you have is a hammer, then everything you see is going to be a nail, Mm -hmm. right? right? But we try to give a lot of tools to athletes as coaches, as strength and conditioning coaches, because in sports, if you have more tools it's up to the coach, the sport coach to, to under, make you understand what tool to use at what time. But at least you have these tools where some, you know, now we're getting into such a specificity based program that everybody just has a hammer. And that's, and so everything is a nail and that's not sports. So you have to be very diverse. So if you're looking for a strength coach or a program for your youth aged kid um, in middle age and even high school, a program that really emphasizes the development of of the total athlete is probably my best suggestion. If I still work with a couple kids, I have some clients that have kids and they ask for favors to train them. That's exactly what I do. We're going to learn how to do the basics. We're going to learn how to do things like a cartwheel. (laughs) You'd be surprised how many people can't do cartwheels. I mean, when I was these kids age, for sure we were doing cartwheels. Uh, backflips, cartwheels, handstands, you know, gymnastics type stuff. Uh, we could climb over fences like nobody's business nowadays. I mean, we had to climb over fences. I mean, it's not like we were the best kids in the neighborhood. So we were doing things, that, but athleticism was, was prevalent. I mean, you had kids jumping over fences that you go, how did they get over that so fast? <laughs> athleticism, right? Right. So nowadays, if I'd have kids like that, we have a monkey bar set up at our gym and we're doing things like monkey bar. And you, I mean, not a kid, a lot of kids can't even do monkey bars. They can't go across. They lose grip. They don't have the strength. They don't have the coordination, the rhythm to follow like their pendulum, their movement of their body. Oh, it's, it's the level of athleticism has gone down. Although a lot of people in the upper ranks would say, well, we're faster now. We are more explosive. That's developing, but there's no base of foundation, I think, in my opinion, 
to really harness all of that. So although we're getting bigger, faster, stronger, but since we're so specific, that's why there's more injuries. And people are always trying to figure out why is there more injuries now when we're bigger, faster, stronger, and more knowledgeable? Okay, so we're more knowledgeable into why we tear a hamstring, but the hamstrings are still tearing. Yeah. So pigeonholing training, basically, from the get-go. When you were younger, I mean, there's only... There's only so much things you can do within a sport when you're growing up. I get it. Like a six-five lineman in high school is not going to be able to play soccer. Right. You know what? When I was growing up, if you were a lineman that big, you were a heavyweight wrestler, right? Because a right. lot of those skills would transfer over. Coach, coach would make you do wrestling, and it didn't enter. It didn't go into football. It was football, then wrestling, and then guess what you did? And in, for instead of baseball, if you track were and field, right? track and field, yeah. Shot put, yeah. Discus, but you did. Now you're throwing momentum. Now you're learning how to use your hips. You're getting uh, the, the concept of rhythm and propulsion. I mean, there's all sorts of things nowadays. When you're an alignment, you're alignment. Yeah. You're anything else? Yeah, and so and what you're saying now, you know, in, in the the conversations we've had with uh, several coaches that have been college coaches or semi-pro or professional coaches, they all mirror the same thing in having multiple sports as a kid and not just saying it well if as a kid you don't really say it but sometimes as a parent saying my kid will play this sport and that's the sport he'll play or she'll play like allow them to play multiple sports and this is like the perspective of hearing from you about the strength portion is and i wouldn't i even think about that is um you're doing different motions which is developing different muscles and different um uh, movements, which makes perfect sense. It helps reduce the risk of injury. So for instance, for baseball, if you're only throwing with your right hand, you probably would benefit from doing something that you use your total, your, you know, total body. It's not just like throwing with one hand. It could be any sport. It could be, I mean, soccer, it could be, you know, things like football. It could be, you know, even though you shoot with, with one hand with basketball, but, you know, you have to learn how to do a left-handed layup, a right-handed layup. Right. You know, it's little things like that that can create a holistic athlete when you're younger. And no parent thinks about that. But back, again, when I was growing up, you wanted to play everything. Seasons were shorter. There wasn't no AAU or travel. So people got the opportunity to play only soccer, to play only basketball, track and field, baseball. You could play all of them because nothing overlapped. Nowadays, you have businesses. I wouldn't even call it club sports. They're businesses, right? They make right. money. They make a lot of money. I think people quit their jobs, their day jobs, because once they get into that system and they're making six figures helping run this travel team, you know, of soccer or whatever. And I get it. I mean, more power to them. But it, to me, that's one of the issues with uh, having year-round sports is that now that's all you do. Right. And right. the level of athleticism has definitely gone down. And I, you know, I, I agree with that. And I was, I think I was right at the cusp of when stuff started transitioning into uh, more travel sport specific. I, I lived in a little town that um, it, it wasn't relevant there yet. So I played, I played football or soccer. I did both actually in the fall. I did my basketball season and then I did baseball and that kind of saw its way through the summertime. But I did both and I enjoyed every sport. And, you know, I, uh, I probably, as I mentioned on all these podcasts, I played baseball through college, but if you were to ask my mom what she enjoyed watching me play the most to this day, she'll tell you basketball. Um, she won't, you know, I, baseball was my sport, but she'll say, I, 
I actually watched, you know, I liked watching Ty better in basketball. Um, and I, I can just say that's probably because there's more action in one specific spot. And, um, but it, it makes sense on the multiple sports. And, and, you know, with what this topic that we're talking about, I guess the question I have for you is where a lot of parents are asking is, you know, what is age appropriate weight training? Um, you know, what age ranges should they expect? Um, when do they start? Uh, you know, you, you talk about kids just developing the basics now. Um, give, give me yeah, insight on, on age appropriate weight training and what a parent should expect. So I think uh, most places, according to the research, and I think just being able to have a little bit of maturity to be able to take in instruction and understand uh, discipline, a lot of people will say eight years old is a great place to start. Not only because physiologically they'll be able to do some things uh, in a sports performance facility, but just overall, I think in a more social setting at eight years old, you'll be able to fall in line. You'll be able to really get the benefits of a coach because you understand how to pay attention. Okay. Right? So in, in that aspect, eight years old is a great time to really start getting into coaching or getting into a sports performance facility. Now what they do, I think uh, 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 since there is a lot of research uh, and there are some certifications that make coaches be able to be specialized in youth training. A lot of them, what they do is do something that's called a, a long-term development program. Um, and a lot within these long-term development programs, they really emphasize on movement quality. So what can you do with your body weight? They'll emphasize on things like tumbling. They'll emphasize things on let's learn how to run. So running mechanics, okay. change of direction mechanics. So they'll emphasize movement first, and then they transition over to weight training. And in the weight training, they'll, they'll teach kids how to set positions properly. They'll teach them the etiquette of a weight room. And then when the, we're talking about weights, it's again, it starts with body weight and then it works its way up to exercises that we can load where it's very controlled. But all the research will show that even at eight years old, if you got a kid that's really paying attention and is picking up the movements really quick, and has graduated to a level that they are going to use weights, the weights are just there to emphasize positioning, not to necessarily increase strength. When okay. kids at that age increase strength, what's actually happening is their body is learning how to recruit more muscles and the movement becomes more efficient. And if the movement becomes more efficient, you see strength. You see a five-pounder being uh. easily lifted because now I have more muscles being able to work together in unison. And if I need more... I have the ability to call upon more muscles, but it's not strength. It's not necessarily at that point. There's, you know, I think a lot of uh, kids will, will want to get too strong. It's, we as coaches have to just make sure they're getting stronger through the technique, through the quality of movement. And then when you start hitting puberty and you start getting the hormones that you need to actually facilitate true strength, then we can take advantage of that. And that, again, depends on the age, I'm sorry, depends on the person when they hit puberty. And then when you can say, okay, now, hey, that voice is uh, starting to get a little deeper. We got to start putting some more juice on that bar, you know? And, it's, and that's, again, my, my opinion and what I read from the professionals that deal with long-term development models and what they try to emphasize in their coaches and in their curriculums, which I think is absolutely right. But then you also have, and it's tricky because when you go to sports performance facilities, Parents want the flashy. They want 
all the bells and whistles. So then coaches are put into this pressure situation where if I go too basic and the kids aren't sweating, they now fall into the trap and what is called perception-based training. Uh, they like perceive that. that it's easy and not worth my money because my kid's not throwing up or sweating. So this isn't worth it. We had that at Velocity for a while too. And, and then my boss really got after our, our parents about that. You go somewhere else where they're going to just thrash them and then push them, make them push sleds, throw up, be really sore. Here we like to teach. Here we like to make that connection and have a good experience with the weight room so that this can be a continued habit and not something that they hated and dreaded. There's not a lot of kids that, like, that have fun throwing up or being really sore. So you have to, we have to do a great job on making this a life uh, habit, something that is a lifestyle, something that they understand is part of their sport, not a punishment. I just learned something, you know, I just learned something new. So <laughs> that helped me. I mean, I, I have my daughter and now she's years, years, years away from that, but it, it is, um, and, and how you, it, it makes perfect sense though. And how you talk about technique, um, over just getting right into it. And, you know, I didn't have growing up in my sports, I, I didn't start weight training till high school. And even then I, I didn't have someone, we didn't have a strength and conditioning coach at our call or college at our high school. It was kind of just whatever I could see on the internet or read about. Um, and maybe a guy in the gym who knew what he was doing would come over and say like, Hey, and even then you hope he knows it, but I'm still a kid. I'm going to listen. Like a dude has muscles, right? You know, he got those somehow. So, (laughs) um, but that's the only way I could learn. So, now, you know, when we're talking about these programs and these academies are now here, that's important for a parent or even a, if an, uh, you know, an, a kid or an athlete's listening to this to know where to start. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think about um, if, if this in, in a global aspect or what happens in other countries, uh, soccer is the dominant sport in the world besides the United States. And when you listen, when I go to, used to go to conferences for soccer, when I trained the soccer team at UOP, um, a lot of the European coaches, they would recruit kids when they were younger. So eight years old, nine years old, and they throw them into these professional team academies. Right. So all these big name, you know, Manchester United, they all have, you know, their farm system, we're going to call it, because I think you'd be familiar with that farm system. They would talk about an eight-year-old not touching a soccer ball not touching a soccer ball until he was around 12 years old. That's you got out here playing soccer at six, yeah. you know, in a little net over there, what they identify as athleticism, determination, coordination, speed, natural speed, aggressiveness. And what they do is they harness all of those in, in an academy that is based on principles of tumbling. So I would say for your daughter, Mm -hmm. you want to get her, I wouldn't say, you know, get after gymnastics and go through that route, but you know what? Tumbling is going to teach her a lot about her body awareness, natural strength that she has to do to be able to do all these climbs and stands and, you know, all these calisthenics. Those are amazing. They base their whole program off of that. Um, all types of proprioceptive uh, exercises, balance, sliding. Um, and you would, if you saw these videos of these kids and you're going, they're training for American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> but the, the coach was going, this is what makes true athleticism. That way, when we throw a soccer ball in the mix, it's easy for us to teach those skills when now the foundation is so wide 
that they can do backflips and they can do front flips and they can slide and they know proper speed mechanics. It's easy to throw in the, the, the motor skills needed in soccer. People think you, you know, you, you've been playing since this age and, and this, and, and you look at the kids, you know, Brazil, poverty area, they play all these different types of soccer, but at the end of the day, they're still doing some natural development of just running and playing tag. And the Europeans just have systemized it. Yeah. Right. They, they, they packaged it into something that is quantifiable, that they can produce, uh, again, development, and they can produce all of their prospects. So their professionals come with within their system. They don't have to go and sign someone. No, they develop you from eight years old to your 18. They know what they're getting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I just look at that. And I go, no wonder they're so much better than us in soccer than, than we are as far as the men's, right? Women, right. But men's, oh my God, because they build machines out there. Yeah. I mean, even with all that, you talked about what they're building, um, talk about the patience that they're building as well in these athletes, because it's not touch a, a soccer ball for that many years. Like, I don't know. That would, yeah. That, that's amazing. And, and to try to right now in this in time, like if you're to tell a parent, don't touch a soccer ball for four years, it'd be like, what are they learning? Right. No, it was, it was over there. They said, we don't want you to be the best at 13. That does us no good. That doesn't make us any money. <laughs> you're going to be your best when you're 21. Yeah. Yeah. So we have this projected timeline and these are the things that you're going to do until you get there. You're going, wow. What, yeah. what a thought out program. Right. So let's talk about, uh, with strength training, you know, during this process of, of, you know, these young athletes learning technique, learning um, how to get stronger. What are some big uh, don'ts or bad advice that you may have to correct when athletes come to you or that you've seen in, in your time as a strength and conditioning coach that parents should be aware of? I think any program that is uh, chasing numbers and thinking that that looks good for their huddle film and to squat a certain amount of weight to make that your overall goal um, is definitely the biggest red flag of any collegiate strength and conditioning coach. It doesn't impress us that you're 17 years old and you're squatting X amount of weight, but your technique is got awful because the only thing that that will tell the coach is we might not want to recruit this because if this kid's been doing this for this long, I guarantee you he's injured. And his, and his miles are going to be high. So by the time he's a freshman in our program, what does he have left before he gets hurt? Like you're trying to prepare yourself for the next level in college. And it's really easy just to say, we need to get stronger. We need to get bigger. I still have kids that are, that are doing that. These are five-star athletes, football players. I don't work with them anymore. But parents in the, in the area, um, they've known me and they, they asked for their, my help. These guys are already signed to big-time colleges. What do I do with them? Let's mobilize. Let's familiarize with technique. You have plenty of time to squat 500 pounds. Not on my clock. Yeah. I'm going to make sure that you do it safely. I'm going to make sure that you can be um, disciplined in the weight room and you understand the progressions of what you're doing. Patience. Those are the skills that are going to help you at the next level. If you're good at your sport, you're good at your sport. You got notice you're already a five-star. Yeah. Squatting that much is not, gonna, is not necessarily going to be the end-all be-all. You'll get stronger when you get older, when you, you're at that place, when you're at the Clemsons and you're at the Alabamas. They have the resources for football. 
to get you where you need to be. Our job at that age is to make sure that the technique is, is great and that as a person, you're developing into something that's coachable. It's the last thing you want is to send a kid out there that's just a jerk. And oh, my strength coach said this and my strength coach said that I need to be doing this. That's not what you want to send out there. So red flag for me, people that chase weights instead of chasing the discipline of what you're trying to do and the technique that is required, right? right. It, it takes a lot of discipline to chase technique instead of numbers. Right. Uh, with, and this is going to be another question similar to uh, how we talk about, you know, parents want to know transitioning into age of weight training. Um, another aspect of that is, and there's so many out there right now, is, is supplements. Um, what age is should supplements be introduced? And even when they are introduced, what, what do you look out for to make sure it's not something polluting your body? Right. It's probably not going to be the answer that you uh, were expecting, but uh, I met a, a friend uh, when I got here to Kentucky and he was a professional power lifter. And he had his big five things that a power lifter should do. And the first three were eat food, sleep adequately, eight hours plus, and drink water. If you did those three things, you could be out here on this platform lifting what I do. And supplements wasn't even four. It was five. Supplements is once you've built the discipline, the habit of doing the first three correctly, then you've earned the right to take supplements. Okay. Because in, in our society, we're looking for the shortcut, the magic pill. And although you're trying to help this kid or your son, daughter get to a certain level, but you also be, have to be very careful on preaching process, not what's the shortcut, supplements. So I would say in the high school age, taking nothing. Let the, I would say let's earn the right to do that. How many times are you eating? Only two times. Why would you take a supplement? Well, I can't eat the third one. Let's fix on why you can't eat that third meal instead of just helping you and enabling you to take a shortcut, which is a supplement. Because at the end of the day, at that age, all they have to do, again, we're talking about what the body's doing at that age. It's learning movement, learning how to acquire more muscles. So we want to recruit muscles and then perfecting technique. You will get strong. Because you're at that age where you're just trying to yeah, you're just trying to figure out how to move. The fact that you take C4, amino acids, protein, creatine, those are not what's going to make you bigger. Get get in the habit of doing the right things, and all those little habits start adding up, and that's what you want to take over to college. You understand how to eat. Why? Because when you're a freshman, you have no idea how to eat. You have a rude awakening when you're in there and you're the smallest guy. And you don't even know how to eat well. And your mommy's not there to help you. <laughs> right? Right. Right. So, so for me, I know it, it, parents want to know what, what brand, what, how much should my kid be you know, eating? He's trying to gain weight and he can't gain weight. Can't rush it. There's right. a reason why the body doesn't want to gain weight. So how, how do you, and going off of that, uh, and that makes that that's very straightforward, and, and I like that 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 top five. Uh, you talk about eating, uh, and I know this can be probably a bigger question, but 
what is the basis of eating right? A kid goes into, you know, he's a freshman in college and, you know, I got this great cafeteria available to me now. Um, and it may be different for, you know, there's the power five. I'm sure they have an incredible amount of resources and nutrition yeah. as opposed to someone who's in JUCO or D2 or a lower D1. Um, but what is the best approach to eating right and understanding? So, well, we try to keep it simple. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. And I'll work off of that. When you, the amount of, I've been doing this for a long time where I used uh-huh. to in college. The amount of kids that eat breakfast is astonishing. Maybe 20%. Maybe. Wow. At, at a, I would say I am even make, probably making that number just so that I don't throw people under the bus. <laughs> but, you know, so I want to keep a little bit of a good face. But when I was at, especially in football, that have the most resources, right? At, at universities. Kids can't, don't wake up to eat breakfast or they're used to not eating breakfast from just the bad habits that they built up in high school, right? So you wake up, you eat whatever you can, and then you go to school. Sometimes it's nothing and then you just wait till lunchtime. That's 12 o'clock. So whenever you woke up, you have no type of energy for your brain until noon, and then so that becomes a habit. So now your stomach isn't even used to consuming any type of food until noon. Kids have been doing the intermittent fasting before it was called <laughs> intermittent fasting. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like that's been around for a long time. People just market it now. But I, I, I'm sure athletes, especially the ones that wake up late, they've been doing that for years. Yeah. Years. years. So, so for me, when, when I would get... I was in charge of freshmen all the time. Mm-hmm. Breakfast. And uh, all the faces that I would get and they'd be half asleep. You got to eat this huge meal. Oh, I don't like eating breakfast. Uh, And then I have to be hard on them and say, at no point did I ask you what you liked, what your dreams and aspirations, this is just breakfast that you're going to eat. And they'd be giving me all the, you know, the lip and, you know, talking under their breath. But we, I was trying to build good habits. Breakfast, we're going to have some type of protein. Usually it's going to be egg. It's going to be some type of breakfast meat. We're going to have some type of carb, whether it's cereal. I'll let you pick the cereals. Now, I pick the cereals that are out there. So then you're picking, but I'll already pick for you. <laughs> That's what I do with my two-year-old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, this one or that one, but I pick it. That's it. I pick it. See, it's not no different. I, I Again, I started coaching six-year-olds. I have the same principles in college for six-year-olds and two-year-olds. Oh, man. So, so we, I teach them what the importance was of having breakfast, of having, you know, even some healthy fats of what, what are you going to drink? Orange juice, milk, water. And then, you know, off you go through your day. And if you were in a rush, you had at least a protein shake, but you owed me still breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? So when you talk about the, the simplest things, I can't take someone that only eats two times a week, a day, and then expect them to be this model person of great nutritional habits. It was a process. So people think, well, that's easy eating three times a day. It's easy for us. Right. We can't see it from our eyes. We have to see it from the athlete's perspective and where they come from and understand what their means were and what their habits have been. Some kids were used to eating at, you know, breakfast at 6 a.m. because they had to wake up, eat breakfast, go to school. They had that structure at home. But a lot of kids, they didn't. And it wasn't just males, females as well. Females don't eat enough. Hmm. Right? So now I have to teach 
females how to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner and see what, what is on their plate because they always have that perception. If I eat too much, I am going to get, and you know what it is, it's going to be, I'm going to get fat or I'm going to get too much muscle. No, I mean, I'd fight that battle all the time trying to get the college girls to eat more. And they'd say, no, I'm getting too big with this muscle milk that you're making me drink. Is it the muscle milk or is it the pizza and beer? You're leaving that out. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll get the laugh like, oh, maybe it was. Yeah, don't blame this out of all your life. Don't blame the hour out of the 24 that you have in the hour that you're in here that why you're gaining more weight that you, that you don't want to. No, no, no. So again, it's teaching them those things. So if I were to have a high school kid or even somebody, again, grade level, we're going to eat breakfast. We're going to eat lunch. We're going to eat dinner. And I'm going to instill those habits and then as they earn the right, and I would say even till high school, then you, you're, I'm sorry, college. That's when you're in that program where you have a nutrition person feeding you the right type of protein. It's NC2A regulated. You don't have to worry about all that. But in high school, you're in high school. Just get down the basics. Just like yeah. wait. No, and that's that's what I, I mean. Through this whole conversation we're having, it's it's really the core of all of this is this basics, and from eating to training. Um, I mean, I, who would have thought just something so simple as eating breakfast is, is a starting point? And you know, I guess like you're saying, I, I probably was at twenty percent because I loved breakfast probably more than the other two meals. Yeah. Um, but it, it's still, and I, if I, my wife was a cross country track and field in college, and and she never ate breakfast. Um, well, and I'm not lying. <laughs> you're not lying, you know, and uh, and it's something that. Um, you know, it, I, if I had to mirror some of the things, like I could understand the things she would look at as like, as a runner, you know, I need to stay a certain shape. So right. I'll eliminate my meals. And that's the first turning point. And, and, you know, if she hears this or listen to this, she may come back and say, you're wrong. Um, I did eat, but um, I think from what I told her, if what she's told me that, you know, that was part of the process. And not that I was perfect. You know, I, I think I missed lunch, lunch a lot because of class and the right. practice would start at one mm-hmm. and you'd have practice for four hours and you'd eat like a protein bar maybe in between, right. which it, it should have been better coordinated. Uh, as we're coming to the tail, uh, I got a, just a few more questions. Um, yeah. One I want to touch a little bit uh, and we'll get to this after this last question I have here is around your specialty area here uh, with equestrian. Um, but before that, I had you know one more question that we don't have to spend too much time on, but there there is a growing um, with strength and conditioning now uh, with branded um, fitness uh, regimens, you know, branded uh, without not trying to be negative towards certain branded um, workout routines that are now prevalent. I'm just going to use a name because like, so you look at like a CrossFit, which makes it extremely awesome athletes. Um, but taking something like CrossFit and I apologize if I offend anyone out there that has youth in CrossFit. Um, but I think, well, I'll let you answer this, but some of those that I see with youth in there, they're at least establishing the basis of lifting, which is great. Um, how was something like CrossFit applicable to sport specific training? When I say sport specific, I know CrossFit may be considered a sport, but sport as in like someone that wants to play football or baseball or soccer or volleyball. I think what CrossFit has done or any type of branded uh, training regimens is they've shifted 
um, a lot of their focuses on what they want their athletes to actually be like because of the overuse injuries, because of the injuries just for inadequate technique. So coaches now are becoming very uh, educated and they have a lot more resources on on how to train youth. So I'm not going to say every box or every other type of of training program out there has them, but like anything, there's going to be inexperienced coaches and very experienced coaches. I don't want to say good and bad. I think everybody has a good intent to help people. It's just the experience of not making enough mistakes to learn from and the ones that have made a lot of mistakes and have come to the realization of this is what I want to do. And I think that it, there are coaches that start to realize, you know what? I think for these kids, this is what is needed. We're, I love to do Olympic lifts, but maybe we can do them with different types of modalities. Let's start with the medicine ball and then learn how to triple extend, which is a movement that is needed for Olympic lifting. So that way uh, they can feel that they are doing service to people that that is necessary. Now, the people that are still doing fitness, now there's where I will say something that may not be as positive what I just said. Mm-hmm. And I say this to the equestrian people that I work with. Fitness does not equal performance. And if we think about that, you, you understand that fitness is a component. Physical fitness is a component of being an athlete. But if you only train in circuit training, if you're only doing cycling classes, if you're only doing a heart rate monitor, treadmill, rower, uh, some more, again, circuit training, that is only one component of an, an energy system that we have okay. out of a lot of other ones that are necessary for sport. So to me, if you just have to be careful and understand what your goal is, is your goal to be fit? Take group classes, take boot camps. If your goal is to be an athlete, you got to understand what do I need to increase my performance, not just my fitness, because it does not equal the same. And it's just people, you know, they don't understand the difference. They just go, wait, fitness, performance, that's the same, being fit. There's a lot of people out there that are fit that wouldn't be good baseball players, (laughs) but they're fit. Right. Right? I mean, 100%. So so if if you look at that, if you can picture that, then you'd understand what what I'm trying to say. So I would say, Good coaches that, that have experience and that you can deem them good coaches and then coaches that are new, do homework on that. How long has that person been coaching? What is his background? Is this person that is going to fit the needs that of my child or myself need, are, are trying to look for? And if it's just a fitness class and you just want to have fun, great. Go take a class. Go to a group training because that's what all it is. All these branded things, what the branding is community. Right. So, and which is awesome because that's what we do in team sports, right? Mm-hmm. So keep in contact with your community, your family, in the in the years that you were at, at UOP. People just figured out that that's what they want to create in the general population, which is amazing. I I'm not mad at that because the more people are fit, the better. Right. Right, and that makes perfect sense. And that's 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 one of the best summaries I've ever um, heard around uh, that approach to those different uh, fitness um, regimens. With and we can spend a whole uh, another session on this another day um, around sport specific fitness, but I do want to touch on something that is your specialty now and, and what you're working with with the equestrian and just for those who are listening that are um, looking to improve in their strength and conditioning around that sport um, around equestrian and if I'm saying it, I think I'm saying it properly. Um, what are some of your top things uh, in, in terms of how you approach? 
strength conditioning for for that sport. And that the listeners should know. And then I'm gonna also after you get this answer, we'll have a link to um, your your Instagram. And I know you're doing a lot of specific videos right now around that training. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll add that in there uh, so people oh. can learn more. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so what I do with the question athletes, I get asked this a lot. And what I can try to do is start this movement where we're trying to redefine what is the equestrian athlete and redefine what equestrian performance is. Um, I'm coming into a sport that I obviously had no experience. And just from being in the community, going to shows, understanding, making a needs analysis or a SWOT analysis, right? <laughs> and, and going through a systematic way on understanding what their needs are, coming up with a program that I feel would be sport specific. But being in there, the sport specific that I thought they needed was not it. And when I started to ride myself, just because I wanted to feel what they felt, I started coming up with a system that just focused on, you're going to be shocked, the basics. <laughs> <laughs> the basics. So what I do now for equestrian athletes is improve their athleticism, timing, coordination, balance, understanding how gravity has an effect on them when they're in a saddle. Uh, I improve their strength, uh, relative strength. So we're not out there doing PRs. We're out there trying to get stronger to lead us to my number one goal. And that's help prevent the risk of the risk of injury, which that sport is very high at and to help get, get them out of pain. So those are my two main things. So if people are, you know, it is sports performance training. But the reason I'm redefining what they think it is, is because a lot of them don't understand in order to be in a place where you're reducing the likelihood of injury and I'm getting you out of pain, you have to be athletic. You have to be conditioned. You have to be strong. You have to be explosive, right? So I'm going back to the sports performance component. Right. But, but I'm telling them, here's our goal. I'm giving them the direction. We're going to this place. If you, if somebody's ever talking about me to someone else, this is what I do with Coach Sando. I'm not in pain. I feel really strong that if I fell off my horse, I'd be okay. And then I feel so much more confident because I'm stronger, fitter. You know, there, there's that word, right? Fit. We are fit. We are conditioned, but it's not the only thing that we do. Very simple. Yeah. Very hard to do. Yeah. So, the basics. <laughs> yeah, the basics. The basics. Right. Man. Well, I appreciate it. What we're gonna do, we always at the end of this have a quick speed round and then yeah. um we'll wrap this up. So I'm just gonna ask you three questions. Um you can give me a short answer. Uh it'll give me a long answer. But basically, first one, favorite athlete, role model growing up. <laughs> Michael Jordan. My all right. Seems like <laughs> you know, that, that's eighties and nineties. Michael Jordan was a boss. I loved him. Yes, he is, or he is and was. Um, so favorite for you, favorite moment uh, in, let's say, weight training for you? Um, like, was there just this goal you were working towards and then you hit it like a weight or something? And I know it's, I know you talked about it's not important the way yeah. it's in, but still it's a. Uh, you know, I, I never weights. I wasn't really the one that would chase numbers. Um, and I know it's going to sound like I'm making this up, but it's more about the coaching. Like I had great coaching moments and younger in my career, uh, I coached, um, some inner city youth. Okay. And, uh, 
the greatest, I'll say coaching moments at that time when it was really simple and it was, I, I didn't really know what I was doing because I still hadn't gotten into these programs where I got too sciencey, but it was just straight coaching is I worked with an inner city elementary school and they hired me because they were losing uh, this inner city track and field meet to all the schools that had the most resources. They had the gate kids, which they, they were the advanced kids. And this school had, they had all the thugs. <laughs> but the principals was, was, wanted to build their confidence and they wanted to, she wanted to build uh, their perspective on life. And they wanted to make sure that they were seen as winners, at least in something, because they're getting crushed in decathlon, you know, those uh, spelling bees, anything like that, they were always last. So that fired me up. I said, I'm competitive and let's, let's do it. And the greatest moment was when we went into that track and field meet and we won first in every single race and every single, uh, the complete sweep, huh? Everything. We took every gold first place and er the whole unified school district that we were competing against was just going, what just happened? And I was like sitting there like a proud dad. Like everybody was just giving me their gold medals. Really? I mean, I had a ton and I, I didn't even know what to say, but you know, you just had to believe in some kids that they could do the things that a lot of people didn't think that they could. And that's just being organized and having a coach that they believed in. Like, we're going to win everything. And you could hear it in the stands. The parents were going, who trained these kids? Oh, that's my God. Awesome. They started a college track and field team. Ty, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I didn't know what. But all I knew was we were going to do everything. If we were going to go wrong in the wrong direction, we were all going to go in the wrong direction. You know what I'm saying? And like we were just that's that's such a cool moment too though, like for you, because you gave them you gave them the basics and then you built on that and then it, it showed. I and, still like when I go into that, my brother has a his barber shop in that area. And kids now are grown up with kids of themselves, with, by, you know, that they have on their own. I'm sorry, did they just have in general? And they'll go into my brother's barbershop and they'll say, Man, I remember your brother. He was like the best coach. I remember that one day and it was the track and field. And my brother will text me, man, do you remember this kid? I go, I sure do. Oh man, living he legend. He can't, still can't forget all the gold medals that that team won that day. He's like, it was one of the best days that I can remember in school. And I, that well, makes me feel good. And when you should. And, and I know that, uh, that moment, and I know we talked about it even before the pod, uh, getting on the call here, but um, the experience that I have with you and many other people that came through University of Pacific, like we still remember moments, um, all different moments that you impacted us in a positive way. So, um, and I, and a lot of us had, you know, resources available as to, I, I can imagine those that had zero resources and came out with, you know, such a great accomplishment, like the, how good that must feel and how much you, obviously you impacted them because they're still talking about it today. Um, but no, so I really appreciate that. And I know people that, you know, you trained before appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, last one is favorite professional sports moment that you got to watch. So yeah. a memorable game or match in time. We'll go back to Mike Jordan, <laughs> NBA finals. It was, it was, it was really cool because I had a lot of friends there with me and I could just remember everybody was just, we were watching Michael Jordan's last game. We knew it uh, and be an athlete like that ended with that last game winner and you, you were watching it and everybody knew in that room, like this is the last shot he's going to take ever. And everybody was just watching. And then when he made that, that last shot, we were just like, wow, that was history. Dude. We, we just saw the grand. That was it. Forever. 
you know, and he came back later on, but, but, uh, you know, that's the Jordan that I always remember as the last shot. So that was probably one of the best moments that I've ever watched. That's awesome. Well, Tony, I, I appreciate you taking time of your day to talk to me, um, to talk on the making an athlete podcast. Um, for those listening out there, uh, Tony's uh, uh, Instagram to go see uh, more specific training is, is coach Sando training. So C O A C H S A N D O training. Um, go check him out on Instagram, uh, especially all the uh, equestrian folks out there. He has um, very specific training uh, that you can learn from and they can reach out as well. I'm sure for, uh, I, you mentioned earlier, you do zoom a lot. So do you do zoom training or I, do, I have an app and on the app, that I, yeah, that I do online training so I can uh, pretty much send you uh, your, your program and then you video all of your exercises and then I assess all of your videos and then I give you feedback to make sure that you're doing things correctly. All right. Perfect. Then uh, what's the app name? Uh, you just uh, have to give you an invite to go download that. So okay. you just go to www.coachsandaltraining.com. You'll find a way uh, to email me and then we can have a conversation. I can send you that link. Perfect. Thank you again. I appreciate it. This has been awesome. Um, I'm going to go get my daughter, my two and a half year old, uh, learning the basics now. <laughs> the basics, tumbling. <laughs> tumbling and it's hard to make her. Uh, she eats breakfast. breakfast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Making an Athlete podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor. Check us out at makinganathlete.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to catch our next episode.